may be seated. This morning we'll continue in the book of uh, Romans, chapter 12, and uh, we've been going through the, the verses. Paul, in fact, if you, we kind of a quick review, uh, up to uh, the time of, we come to, up to chapter 12, uh, Paul uh, has been teaching us what Christianity is, if you will, uh, sharing with us the ideas of redemption and the fall of man and the, the, what is accomplished uh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In chapter 8, sharing what Christ's incarnation has brought to us, uh, that picture again in Romans 8, 1, where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On and further in, in Romans 8, he talks about that we are joint heirs with Christ. And then he tells us that there is nothing, at the end of Romans 8, he tells us that there is nothing that's going to separate us from Christ. And so the rest of, uh, from chapter 12 on, Paul is speaking of how to put basically all that he has taught up to this point into use and how we should live. And the very first thing that he shared in Romans 12 that we went over several weeks ago was his appeal to us to present ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices. Something separate from the world. In other words, to be separated from the world and transformed in, uh, by the renewing of our mind, conformed, if you will, instead of to the world, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. The last few weeks, we've been looking at what the English... Standard Version has their little caption or, or, or title on. It says, the marks of a true Christian. Talking about genuine love and hating evil and loving the things that are good. And today we are going to pick up at chapter 12, verse 14, and what Paul has been driving for in the sense of, again, the way we as Christians should be living our lives. So verse 14 of chapter 12 Paul writes, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These verses, uh, in their own way, are, have got two areas, if you will, uh, that I have seen. Uh, first, the difficulty of just actually applying these kinds of verses, the idea of 
loving your enemy, this type of thing, and getting into that side of it. But there's a few that have also interpreted this idea of being at peace in, a, in what I would say an inappropriate way coming to, uh, from Scripture, and we'll get into that this morning. But first, just looking at the overall passage here, uh, Paul starts right off with this idea of, of not to curse those who persecute you, but to bless them. That in and of itself starts right off with something that's so difficult for us to do. It is so against our nature. Uh, it wasn't something that the Greek culture preached, <laughs> and it certainly wasn't something that actually the Jewish culture preached. And so this, this statement, and, and, and Jesus talks about it, love your enemies, pay, uh, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, uh, he says it uh, in Luke uh, chapter 6, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, uh, and pray for those who abuse you. Again, it's, it's just not the way we think. Somebody has come across us in some way, and our feelings towards them become normally, at best, tense, you know, and, and normally worse than that. Uh, and uh, Paul is saying, no, this is not the way a Christian receives the, the work of Christ in him and then shares it with others. We don't even curse our enemies. We don't curse. We're not to curse each other. We're not to be angry with each other. We're not to, to be unresolved in our conflicts with each other, but not with our enemies either. And again, that's a hard saying. It's only possible if Christ is working in you, if the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's not something that we can do. I was listening to the news this morning uh, in reference to uh, striving for some new peace talks in the Middle East, and specifically uh, the, the Holy Land, Israel and, and the Gaza Strip and the areas around that, and uh, trying to, to get, and they went back and they were talking about how close they came to, to being at peace with, <laughs> at the time of Jimmy Carter, and then again with, with uh, uh, you know, uh, Clinton, and then again, Bush came close with some kind of a plan, and now it's up to somebody else to come up with a plan, and, and there, you know, the idea is we've got to make it happen. If it doesn't happen now, you know, we're, we could, it could just go out of control. And so this, this striving, and the problem is, is that I'm going to be candid with you. You've got a group of people that simply do not care for each other. I guess that's a nice way to put it. And, and uh, the idea of them sitting down, I recall uh, back in the 70s, a song that said, there will not be peace in the world until Jesus Christ is invited to the conference table. And so this peace that, and, and this, this ability to work and to bless your enemies, this type of attitude, comes through Christ. It doesn't come any other way. So... Uh, Again, it's, it's an idea, it's a way of thinking that is, is quite alien to us. And then in verses 15 and 16, talking about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep and living in harmony with one another, not haughty. I like that word, not haughty. It means uh, not holding yourself in high esteem, uh, having a lofty attitude about yourself. Uh, and uh, I, I, I realized as I was, you know, 
the idea was really, it says, don't, be, don't feel better than <laughs> other people. You know, don't lift yourself up higher than other people. Um, but it kind of ties back to verse 10 about how we treat one another, putting others ahead of ourselves. And so uh, we're to rejoice when those who uh, in, uh, around us are rejoicing and to weep when those that around us are weeping. And what this is is that idea of, of rejoicing, taking, like I said, back to verse 10, putting others ahead of yourself, was that idea that when someone is blessed in a way that you wished you were blessed, instead of resenting it, you are to rejoice with them. And even that, again, runs against our nature at times. Maybe you've had a need or a particular situation or something for a lengthy period of time, and uh, someone else is, uh, is blessed with what you feel you need, and uh, there's a sense of, of, if not, you know, maybe a little distance now between you and that person, but maybe even a little distance between you and God. Why that person and not me? Why can't I have what that person has? And it says that that's not, that attitude is not the attitude that comes from Christ. That's the attitude that comes from our flesh. And so rejoice with those who re rejoice. And when there is a need to come alongside those who are in grief and sorrow and weeping, come along and weep with them, meaning that you come alongside and, and you, you, you hug them, you bless them. People say, oh, I don't know what to say about a certain situation. Let's say in, we, we talk about grief share, and somebody is, is, is dealing with someone who has uh, lost a loved one. And they, they, uh, you're amazed at the number of people that avoid you. And it's because they say, well, we just don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. All you have to do is put your arm around and say, I'm praying for you, or we love you. That is a sense of weeping with those who weep. It's coming alongside and ministering one to another in the times of need as well. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Another way of saying verse 14, I think. But instead, give thought, and this is an interesting verse here, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The idea of give thought means to consider in advance how you're going to give honor to people or that you want to give honor to people, that you want to lift up people, you want to be uh, honest with people, proper with people, good with people. In the sight of all, you want the, the, that sense of integrity. It's not something that just happens. That's what this verse is basically saying. You have to give thought to it. I don't know how many times I, I've talked to uh, young people in the sense of how we need to give thought now <laughs> to things that you're doing in reference to, to how it's going to be seen later and how it's going to be looked at later or how it will be received by some people later. Uh, making the decision before you're tempted in sin, for instance, of how it is you're going to respond to something, how it is you, can, you feel about something. And therefore, when the temptation comes ahead of you, you already have a decision 
in your mind about what it is to do. You've thought about it in advance. Well, it's the same thing about how we treat one another, how we want to be treated. It takes a forethought. And so this is, should be part of our prayer life. Lord, create in me what you want me to be as to how I treat other people. How uh, I consider, to help me to, to come to conclusion now is to be ready and prepared to minister to other people. Even when they do evil to me, Lord, give me the, and this, again, we wait until the moment <laughs> we're going to react most likely in the flesh. Even at the simplest things, I always use this one because it happens so often, and that's being in the parking lot. Now, you know, uh, you, 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 you've got your blinker going. You've got everything lined up. You're, you're waiting for this person to back out. As this person backs out, another person takes a, a broad sweeping turn, cuts that person off from going forward and takes the parking space and looks back and smiles. Boy, I hope that's hopping cart. No, no. <laughs> You know, you know it, it, uh, you, 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 there's a frustration. Can you bless that person? It's an interesting thing. If you start asking God now to prepare your heart, even for the little situations, that God allow me to be one and, and, and say a prayer of blessing over people who uh, cut you off and uh, do the things that interfere with your rights in one way or another, Ask God to bless them. But this is more specific when it starts to talk about very, very specifically your enemies. This means someone who has come against you in some kind of way to hurt you with intent. Whether it's a, a verbal type of thing or a physical type of thing, uh, a financial type of thing, they have set out to hurt, to to. to, to you know, with, with lacking of integrity, if you will. And we're told here that even then, we're not to retaliate, but to seek to have the opportunity to what? Bless them. It's quite an amazing picture that she puts before us. Give thought, consider in advance to do what is honorable, which is honest and proper and good, moral, in the sight of all. Now skip 18 for the moment in verse 19. We're not to avenge ourselves, but to leave it with God. Do we trust that God knows what must happen, what needs to happen? The Lord says he will take care of it. I'll tell you what. How many times have, have we seen in the last year situations where you know that somebody has been caught on a crime and never even gone to trial because either there's not enough money or the, the, the DA is not interested or whatever it is, and your frustration level escalates because uh, it's not right. Now, I'm not saying that justice does not need to be served in any, or anything like that, but in this sense, can we trust that even in those situations, God has it? under control. He hasn't, missed a, he hasn't missed a beat. He hasn't blinked his eyes and missed something. He hasn't turned away and, and not seen something. 
He hasn't missed a beat. And nothing will escape his righteousness and the way he perceives the things that will have to be done according to the way people respond, act, and do things. I put here, can I, can I trust the Lord to keep the books? <laughs> and I have to confess again that my words and my thoughts often betray me. I say I trust, but then spend a lot of time second-guessing various outcomes of things around me that just don't seem fair or don't seem right. And so again, I wrote in my notes, do I trust God to keep the books? And the answer to that is, is that I desire to. I need to pray that God would give me the ability to rest more in confidence that in his sovereignty, he's got it under control. And not taking vengeance, it's not, that's not the end of things. Not, you know, somebody doing something wrong, and you're not going to curse them, but you're going to bless them, uh, and you're not going to take any vengeance. There's even more that Paul adds to this. He says in verse 20, uh, to the contrary of taking vengeance, feed your enemies. This idea of to the contrary means do the opposite of what people would think to do. Feed your enemy if he's hungry. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to have to tell you, I can't answer this for myself. Do you know if you've ever fed your enemy? Just, just, just give it some thought. First off, how, what do you define? You have to define an enemy, and then define if you've ever fed them. Or if you've given them water when they were thirsty. Now, I have done it indirectly, meaning that I have actually uh, helped support mission outreaches that are ministering to Muslim groups that are, are, are known to be anti-Christian and, and, and anti-Israel, and, and, and they're reaching out to them, desiring to minister Christ to them, and they've brought food to them in times of need and hunger, and they brought water to them. And so indirectly I have. But I'm trying to think of the time where I've actually set my enemy down and said, let me feed you. And it's not quite so easy when you start to do it that way. And I'm beginning to realize maybe I've never been put in that height of a position. I guess that I'm, I'm being very hard on the definition of my enemy. If you, if, if you consider the enemy as somebody you just crossed hairs with, you know, you're just off-center with, uh, I guess you would say that you maybe have, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about somebody, again, the idea of an enemy, someone who is out to, to somehow come against you, either in your faith, in a form of persecution, or, again, to injure, to, 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 to bring harm, given the opportunity, and the need is presented to you, would you feed that person? Would you give them water to drink? And then he says something interesting. If you do, you're doing something very interesting. You're heaping burning coals on their head. That goes fine for me. <laughs> Shows you where my brain is again, doesn't it? Yeah. 
yeah, if I feed my enemy heaping coals on his head. By the way, heaping coals on a head does have to do in the Old Testament with judgment. So it's kind of like, if I am nice and bless my enemy, God's going to get him. <laughs> uh, I've defeated the whole thing, haven't I? But see, there, while, while heaping burning coals on someone's head is a judgment call, uh, it's also a sense of pain and suffering that is internal that brings someone to shame or remorse. And I think that's more what Paul is intending here. If I, from a sincere heart, through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, minister to my enemy because that is the right thing to do, and he's put it in my heart to be doing that, with the idea of it's the right thing to do, not with withholding with or holding back, but doing it willingly. Uh, BJ, you said cheerful giving this morning, you know, in a sense of having the, an attitude of, of wanting to do this. Paul says it is a way of melting them down, if you want to use this word in a sense that's used in metallurgy. It's a way of melting them down to consider who they are and what they are and what they're doing and why kind of thing. And it could bring them to shame or remorse and possibly even a changed heart. And I started thinking about this. And I may be stretching this a little bit, but I, I think at, at, at the crucifixion, the centurion had coals heaped on his head. I don't know how many crucifixions. He's a centurion. He's in charge. He's done more than one. He's, he's, he's not a novice at this. And Jesus offers forgiveness so they know not what they do. And as the centurion hears those things and, and witnesses what goes on, and he turns and says, surely this must be the Son of God. How many soldiers and uh, Roman soldiers and, and soldiers of other cultures as that as well who persecuted the church who were holding captive Christians who were sending them into the, the Colosseums and the arenas to be uh, killed and, 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 and maimed and, 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 and murdered if you will have there are testimonies of, of, of them witnessing Christians going to their death in such a way and even forgiving them, the soldiers, forgiving those other, and seeing people then turn around and realize, uh, the, the, you know, there's something different here. I think maybe they had some coals heaped on their head in the way Paul was thinking about here. And then finally in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And by the way, kind of tied to that thought is, is that do, you cannot use evil to fight evil. How many times have you know, people come to that point where uh, the, the means are justified by the end result? So even if I have to resort to lying or cheating or whatever I have to do to accomplish the right end, that's okay. No, that's being overcome with evil. No, be overcome with good. Let the end result of something hang, that, that hangs that way hang in God's control. 
and do it as you know the right way to do it. We're to be, again, not conformed to the ways of the world, but transformed with renewed mind in Christ. Now, all of this is consideration with kind of this center point, verse 18. Paul says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, first off, we have to make an understanding here. We are keenly aware that there will be conflict between the world and Christ, between the world and his church, between the world and the word of God. There will be persecution. Jesus said it very plainly and very clearly that there will be times of persecution. There will be times of tribulation. If they've come after me, they will definitely come after you. And yet in the midst of this, we're given the instruction, love our enemies, uh, you know, bless our enemies, feed our enemies, uh, this type of thing. And then he says, as, as, and if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as it's up to you, be at peace with all, is a way of maybe paraphrasing. I thought being at peace again is what we strive for, isn't it? In a sense, we all want it, we, and we all have in our minds certain things that would, you know, make us feel at peace. Sometimes, the, you know, it's, it's actually material things that we think will bring us a sense of peace, and I can rest comfortably and have peace in the, you know, for my future or whatever. Uh, we, we, you know, get sidetracked that way in other ways. But to be peace, at, at peace with people is the real idea here, to be peaceable or at peace with all. And so this is something that we are to strive for, something that we are to desire. And so as I, I put this thinking together here, I thought, what if I really strive for it? What if I really desire for it and it doesn't happen? What if... I really want to be at peace with someone. I've done everything I can think of to be at peace with someone through prayer and, 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 and assistance and counseling, whatever else, and I have not been able to get there. At that point, I have to ask myself the statement, did you do all in your strength, in your faith, in your resting in Christ, did you do all to make it happen? Or, implied by it not being here, but it's implied, did you aggravate the situation? One of the things, for instance, that you can aggravate a situation, you want to be at peace with someone and you say, oh, I know I need to ask them for forgiveness. There's nobody in here named George today, is there? Because <laughs> I, I frequently use the name George, I don't know why, you know, as a, as a name of somebody that is figuratively speaking, and I will say, George... I know I need, to, I need to ask your forgiveness. Would you forgive me, please, for doing this, 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 and this? I mean, you understand, when you did this, 
it just caused me to, to, to go off, but, but, but I shouldn't have gone off like that, and so would you forgive me? You've already done it wrong. You really aren't striving for peace. You're still striving to hold your ground because you're letting George know it's his fault you went off in the first place. God, it's the George you gave me. You know, uh, you know it's, uh, it's uh, the friend you gave me who, who betrayed me. And, and, and my actions, therefore, they weren't peaceable. They weren't loving. I, I have to say I was more in the attitude of curse than bless. But I realize now uh, that was the wrong attitude. And George, if you hadn't done that, I, I, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't have done what I did, but what I did was wrong. There's a part of us that just always wants to be released from the responsibility. Have you done everything you can to be at peace? And I was thinking, this is where it gets kind of tricky because some people teach this, that the church is to be at peace with the world. How, you know, how do we come off as a partner with the world in a sense, letting the world know, boy, we really care for them, they really love them, we don't want to offend them, hurt them, or, or anything, we, we just, you know. And as a result, we say basically peace I've heard some people, you know, back in the 60s, almost that idea, peace at any price. Uh, you know, uh, there was the, the old phrase, some of them are better red than dead. I, I, I heard that more than once, and I often thought, do they have a clue as to what they're saying? Um, you know, but the, the idea was, is, is, you know, do we... We, we don't want to compromise our values in Christ. This, this idea of being at peace is not telling us to do that. What that tells us, therefore, is that there are times where we also have to hold our ground. Be at peace as much as it is up to you, but you are still called to rest in the values of Christ and his word and, and to, to rest in that completely. And if that brings about a persecution, if that brings about something unpeaceful toward you, as much as it's possible, be at peace with that. But don't, don't give up your values. Don't give, if, if, you were, if, if giving up your values and all this kind of thing, would, Paul would never have been at the center of so many mobs. Think of the number of mobs. There's a point in Acts 17, uh, verse 6, where it says, oh, here are the guys that are turning the world upside down. Let's get them. I want you to make sure this idea of being at peace is not does not have anything to do over here with compromising your faith. There are going to be times where your faith is actually going to disrupt peace. The scripture isn't talking about that at this point. It's just saying as much as in relationships, day-to-day, situation-to-situation, be at peace if, if it's possible. But nowhere does Paul say here to forsake your values, to forsake your, 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 your faith. 
Jesus, there were certainly situations where he was not at peace. Not because he wouldn't desire it, but because people refused to, to see his word. To see. They refused to be at peace with God, and as a result, would not be at peace with him. That we can't change. That's not in our power to change. If possible, as far as it depends on you, in the world, for that matter, in the church as well, with people, organizations, culture, government, be at peace. But there are things that will set us at odds. Our values, what we believe, our faith in Christ. I don't know if you may... I think most of you are familiar with the, 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 the phrase, the five solas, which is the idea of solely, five certain things that we say are solely, you know, they're the truth, period, and, 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 and you know, alone, they stand alone as truth. And uh, only scripture, for instance, or scripture alone, we, we teach that the scripture is the word of God, period. There is nothing in it that is wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's all correct. It's right. It's the word of God. And we... we talk about it as being our, our source of understanding, how we're to respond to everything. In fact, that's what we're talking about even this morning. So scripture alone, there is no other word coming from man or any other source that comes ahead of scripture or even equal with scripture in any way. We say Christ alone, meaning there is no other way to be saved other than through Jesus Christ. We see grace alone. Man did not bring anything to the table for his salvation. It's all done in Christ through his grace given to us. Faith alone. We are saved uh, by grace through faith. And even the faith is a gift from God. And, and so through faith alone, grace and then finally, the, the, it's, it's God alone, the, the glory of God alone. There is no one other than God worthy of our praise. We stand on the reality that man is a sinner and cannot save himself. He desperately needs a Savior. We say that he is helplessly hopelessly fallen. And unless God intervenes, he cannot be saved. Well, God intervened. I was reading again this morning. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, the uh, Childhood Evangelism Fellowship. It's been around for quite a few years now. It's done a wonderful job of ministry, primarily with, with children all, well, literally children all over the world. And uh, 
I was looking up something in particular for, uh, from Childhood Evangelism Fellowship this morning that I wanted, and uh, one of these web pages came up, and I, and I misread it, which is not hard for me to do, uh, you know, especially on a computer screen. And, and I went to it thinking I was going to a, CA, a Christian uh, uh, Childhood Evangelism Fellowship because it said CEF, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. And then I, and, and, and I looked at it and I said, I said, wait a minute, there's something. And I, I missed the word dangerous. CEF, and it's dangerous to the children. You know why? Are you familiar with the, 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 the wordless book? I think I've shared this in here with you. Well, this was the same thing, the, the, the wordless bracelet. Uh, the gold is that you want to be in heaven, but you can't get to heaven because of sin. Where is the sin? In me. I am a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus Christ died for my sin, the red. He died for my sin. The white now is he makes me white as snow, free from the judgment of sin. And then green is to grow in Christ, away from sin and towards Christ. The idea of being transformed, renewed. But in every category, the idea of, of sin does come up into the picture. These people were saying, we are so obsessed with sin and, and, and teaching our children that they're sinners and, and all this kind of stuff that we are abusing the kids. And it went on and on and on. And I thought, wow, these people, it's, what's amazing was they got this thing down perfectly. They got it right. But they absolutely missed the whole point. The world looks at our values and comes against it. What needs to be my response to that web page, other than maybe making an address to it? I already checked the comments. Somebody else has said everything I think I might have said. Uh, but my first response was not to pray for them or to bless them. Now, I don't have any intention of blessing their work. But what would be the appropriate prayer? Says, Paul says here, pray. What would be the appropriate prayer? That God would bless them with what? Salvation. <laughs> Open their eyes to faith. Open their eyes to the word. On television years ago was, and I can't remember her name now, Chloe, I think it was, the, the, the person who could tell your future. She had the Jamaican accent. And if you would call and such and such numbers, they would help you with your love life and all this kind of thing. And there was on all the time. That commercial was on over and over and over again. And I kept thinking, how many, you know, it costs money to put those things on. They must be really raking it in and stuff like that. And I'd just get angry and everything. And all of a sudden, one day, it just overwhelmed me. Have you prayed for her? She's a real live person. And she's got it absolutely wrong, even if she's only in it for the money. She still got it wrong. Have you prayed for her? Now, I'm not saying my prayers had anything to do with it. I don't know what's happened to her, but she, you know, she was off the air a few months later. But we need to have a, uh, an attitude that strikes us when we see evil in the world, when we see things that are painful in the world, when we see suffering in the world, that, that while we realize the people causing it, it's evil and all that stuff, are we prepared to pray? Are we prepared to, to ask God to bless them with mercy and open their eyes? The things that we need to be doing, it's a different way of looking at it. 
And so if I can be at peace with God because God has opened the door for me to be at peace with him, he's saying, can you now be peace with, with other people, even if they don't deserve it? And the reality was that it hit me was he was at peace with me when I didn't deserve it, meaning that he already had gone to the cross. He already said it is finished. Before, he, before I loved him, he loved me. And I realized that this is an attitude that is part of the transformation. It is a part of the, 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 the renewing of the mind is to think differently than the world thinks, to think differently than my flesh thinks. Warren Wiersbe is a commentator and, and, and Bible scholar, and he said, we need spiritual wisdom when it comes to dealing with the enemies of the cross and the word of God, lest we be a bad testimony on the one hand or cheapen the gospel on the other. I thought, okay, wait a minute, I've got to read it. Because he was reading it, he was writing this within reference to what we were talking about here. We need to be a, we need spiritual wisdom. That, okay, I don't have a problem there. When it comes to dealing with the enemies of the cross and the word, I agree with that. Lest we be a bad testimony. I thought, how would I be a bad testimony? Well, I'll tell you how I could be a bad testimony. I could be a bad testimony by compromising my values. See, he was trying to find that balance in here of being at peace without giving up your 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 identity as a Christian. To come alongside those that you know are in sin, but still letting them know it is sin <laughs> and not being uh, you know, bashful about saying it. Because when we do quiet ourselves in reference to those who will speak against the gospel, we do tend to take its value away. People just look at it and say, well, it must not be that important. All we're trying to do is blend in, maybe. But God didn't call us to blend in. He did call us to be at peace as much as it's up to us. But he didn't call us to blend in. He called us actually to be separate. In the world, but what? Not of it. God calls us to be perfect as he is perfect, to have his values in all things. And he also calls us to reach out to those who are, will reject and even hate him and his word and Christ in the cross, to reach out to them. Like I said earlier, in reality, isn't that what Christ did for us? He reached out to us while we were yet his enemies. Scripture even says it that way at one point. He died for us to redeem us from our sins. That he might transform us, renew our minds, giving us the mind of Christ, according to Philippians chapter 2. 
we come into communion, it's a good time to examine our hearts. The, 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 the idea of, of saying, am I striving for this peace and, and, and concern for a lost world in such a way that my goal is, is you know, to even pray for my enemies, to even bless my enemies, uh, to be at peace with, the, with those around me. And I want to suggest that especially being at peace with those in your family and in your church, uh, Scripture is very clear about striving to, to cause that to be something that you have worked at and, and, and achieved and given us even prescription as to how to do it in, in Matthew. And, and uh, communion is a time to examine our hearts and say, are we at peace? Are we where we are supposed to be with other people? Uh, is there something I haven't done that I need to do? And then God, give me the wisdom to know how to do it and when to do it, this type of thing. So I would say this is a good way of, of opening up the idea of examining our hearts before we uh, share in communion. I'm going to ask the ushers to pass the communion out and, and to uh, uh, serve it to all of us, and we'll hold it until we've all been served. And with that, after communion, I, I know there's been a couple people uh, over the last few weeks that have asked if they could have prayer uh, with the elders and, and, uh, and uh, you know, be anointed with oil. There's a scriptural principle there that, that uh, James speaks of that if 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 you can uh, that if you come to the elders asking to be anointed with oil, asking for prayer, uh, for God to bring healing, it's a perfectly right thing to do, and uh, but it also suggests at that point too that that uh, not suggest it says very clearly about having your sins squared away, confessing your sins, this type of thing. So communion to that prayer time seemed to me to be a perfect thing to do. And uh, so uh, as communion is passed, uh, contemplate too if there's anybody here in need of prayer, uh, especially physical uh, need is what we were looking at today. Uh, feel free to come forward after communion, and uh, I'll tell you when. And, uh, but you can be thinking about that now if, if this is something you want to do today. So would the ushers come and pass the communion out? Again, hold it until we've all been served.
love so amazing that it stretches back to the, before the foundation of the world. The plan of salvation, the need of, of man's redemption. God knew and made the plan. The cross was looming ahead of Christ from the very moment he was on the earth. And then at some point, just a short time before his crucifixion, it says that he resolutely turned his head towards Jerusalem. And even though that was the last place everybody else wanted him to go, that was where he knew he needed to go. And he knew the cross was there. He knew Psalm 22 applied to him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that the suffering that he would experience but he also had the confidence. He knew that he would not be forsaken. His body would not decay in the grave. And the victory would be in the end. So much so that he could actually be known as saying, it's pleasing to accomplish this goal. All for us. So that we will never know hell and its torment and its suffering. Somebody's asked me, we were talking just a, a few days ago in reference to what we thought hell might be like, and I said, I don't think it makes any difference as to how you try to interpret the, the picture of, of, of fire and brimstone and all those things that, that we use to describe it. The main thing is going to be at Judgment Day, you're going to see the glory of God and be separated from it. Christ came to intervene to, to stop that from happening for us so that we stand on the judgment day clean because of him who said it is finished on the cross. He came in the flesh. And so he used bread to represent that at the night of his uh, betrayal at the dinner that he was sharing with his disciples. He took the bread and after giving thanks and after breaking it he passed it to the disciples and said this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat it he asked us that we would do it in remembrance of him. Scripture tells us at the end of the meal, he took the cup of wine to, and held it up to them to be now known as the symbol of his blood about to purchase a covenant of grace. And again, he asked us as often as we would drink this to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your table be reminded of all that you have done for us and also be reminded Lord of our, our need to, to submit always not just occasionally but, but on a daily basis submitting ourselves as that living sacrifice that you could renew and, and transform us Lord we ask Father that you would uh, put it into our hearts to seek your face uh, constantly through the day and that we would catch glimpses of you constantly through the day in the sense of knowing that the God of all creation is amongst us in the sense that your Holy Spirit is in us, dwelling in us, and pointing out to us the things around us that you are concerned about, that you would use us to meet needs with, you know, to, to be the ones meeting needs. And uh, 
I even think of, Lord, the opportunities that we have to be answers to prayers of someone else as we might witness to their son or their grandson or their granddaughter or someone that they love that they've been praying for. Cause us to be willing to be your vessels in all things that are brought before us in every way, Lord. Again, worshiping you and thanking you for our salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. This